Well, good morning, Wellspring. Bon dia, in Catalan. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's a, a real privilege to be here with you this morning. And I just want to uh, say how thankful we are that um, in the difficult journey that, that God allowed us to go through, uh, we were not alone. Um, it was because of COVID, it was impossible really to ask for outside help, uh, either from you all or from even people more locally. We had to kind of go it alone, but we, we didn't go it alone because we know that um, so many people like, like you guys were, were praying for us. And, um, and, and God heard your prayers. He answered your prayers and he continues to do so. Sometimes, you know, these, um, these journeys, we, we like, a, a, as Americans, we like ha a happy ending, you know, we're triumphalistic a little bit. And so we like to think, okay, you know, God answered, uh, this family has moved on. In our case, it's turned out to be a longer journey, but we're so thankful for the walking miracle that, that is our daughter, Naime. And of course, for the partnership that we share with you and the amazing ways that that's developed over the years. Um, the, the liturgical calendar that we're celebrating now with Holy Week coming, um, in some traditions, it's actually year-round, and there's, there's a, what's called a lectionary. So, so the passage that uh, you preach on is given to you ahead of time based on this liturgical calendar. And, and interestingly enough, two weeks ago, it fell on this passage here in Mark chapter 5, which coincidentally was the passage that I think God gave to us in our journey and we rallied around and pleaded with God, Talitha Kumi, that he would raise Naime, uh, that he would raise her uh, when she was in a coma, especially for three weeks, hundreds and thousands of people were praying Talitha Kumi. And so because I providentially preached on this two weeks ago in Spain, my wife said, why don't you bring this, the same message to the brothers and sisters in Wellspring? So as you know, on February the 1st, 2020, God uh, allowed me to go through uh, one of the most uh, uh, harrowing uh, tests of my faith that I've ever been through for sure. When uh, a driver on cocaine who was ex uh, speeding uh, at night uh, didn't see that uh, there was a crosswalk uh, lit that didn't see that there was a person crossing that crosswalk. And he plowed into my, my daughter, Naime, as she, she was walking to the train. And we got a, I got a phone call from the local police station saying that I needed to rush to the hospital as quickly as possible. And as you can imagine, those are moments of fear, natural fear, okay? But fear, your life passes before you, you're just, you're asking all kinds of questions. Initially, is she going to survive? In what state will she come out of her coma? And what does this mean for her life? What does this mean for her dreams? What does this mean for our dreams for her? And what does this mean for us as a family? And the, the passage that we're going to look into this morning is all about fear, but it's about moving from fear to faith by trusting in Jesus of Nazareth. In this passage, we see two, two people, two individuals in, whose lives are intertwined by Jesus's providential um, movements. 
And both of them are facing situations that caused Im immense fear. And uh, both of them move, we see them moving from fear to faith through placing their trust in Jesus Christ. Where, where, you know, whether it be the, the woman, uh, in the, in it's kind of uh, sandwiched in the middle of the narrative, who was just facing the, the, the fear, uh, the social ostracization, the fear of maybe never getting better, uh, or whether it was Jairus who, who had to face the worst fear that any parent would want to, would, would never want to face, having to bury your own child. But the, the common theme, the melodic line running through the narrative is how these people go from fear to faith by looking to Jesus, by, by looking to Jesus with the eyes of faith and seeing his power, his goodness, his, his unique person, trusting in him and coming to a place of confidence. So, and, and that's ultimately what, what Mark wrote this passage uh, for. He, he, he would intend, and the Holy Spirit would intend for us in East Bay 2022 to do precisely the same to put our trust in Jesus. So let's, let's look at a couple of the themes, three themes that, that Mark highlights in these intertwined narratives. And firstly, um, we see that Jesus, Mark wants you to see that Jesus demonstrates that he is Lord over time, that he is Lord over seasons and times. He exercises sovereign dominion, a dominion that we will never understand. As C.S. Lewis writes in the Chronicles of Narnia, he is not a tame lion. So we, while we won't understand it, he asks us to trust in him. Firstly, I want you to see that, that both of these lives, though dissimilar in many ways, they share a common denominator, and that is a desperation. The woman known in, in secular history as Veronica is uh, in the middle section, suffers an incurable discharge of blood. And we're so far removed from the first century Juda Judaism that we have to think about what that really meant. We've heard a little bit more about lepers, maybe in sermons or Sunday school lessons and, and the ostracization that would, would happen if you, if you had leprosy. Her situation is really the same because for 12 years, she's had this, this, uh, this uh, flow of blood that rendered her ceremonially and unclean in a hyper-religious ritualistic society. And so that means that she's completely cut off from the religious life of Israel, which was everything. But socially, it was the same because she could not enter into marriage in the state. She could not live in a family setting in the state. Everything that she touched was... Uh, was ipso facto ceremonially unclean, which means no one could come near her because they too would become ceremonially unclean. The, the worst part of it is this. It's not just that. It is that uh, according to the theology, right? It's kind of the theology of Job, if you think of the Old Testament. Virtually everyone in her society would have assumed a causal, cause and effect relationship Sin that this woman had committed resulting in this discharge of blood. And so, so her life was just was a, a constant uh, desperation. 
And uh, then, of course, in, in the case of Jairus, like we said before, this, this fear that no parent ever wants to face that your child, one of your beloved children, might leave this earth before you. That's just not the way it's supposed to work. They're supposed to bury us, not we them. And this is the fear that Jairus faces. Now, now I'd like you to come back to Jairus, this, this, uh, this synagogue ruler. This man would have been a prominent man in society. He probably would have been wealthy. He would have been well-known. He, he had social... Uh, social uh, credibility uh, in, in society. And, but I want you to place yourself in his shoes for a moment this morning, okay? When your daughter is ill, when your child is deathly ill, social status ceases to matter, okay? Whether you got an A or an A minus or a B plus in chemistry in, I did not get it any of those grades in chemistry, mind you. But those things cease to matter. How your investment portfolio is doing ceases to be an issue when your child is on her deathbed. This is, your, this is you. This is, this is you placing yourself right in the, in, in the shoes of Jairus. But you, the news has traveled to you that there is this itinerant rabbi, Jesus, in town uh, by chance, right? And you've heard that he has power to heal and hope is reborn in your heart. And you leave your house and you uh, move heaven and earth to find him in, in absolute earnest. And you finally do. You tell him about your situation and, and Jesus leaves what he's doing and he comes with you. And you're beginning to hope that something might, might, might change in the fate of, the fate of your daughter. But to your absolute horror, Jesus is delayed. And he's delayed by a person whose situation is serious, but it's not life and death. It's not life and death. And you're sitting there and you're wondering, Jesus, can't we come back to this? I will come with you myself. Okay. But and you're watching this, this, this event unfold before your eyes. The thing is, Jesus not only stops when this woman extends her hand in, in, in fearful faith and touches the hem of his garment, but Jesus stops and asks who it was, and he in, begins to engage her in conversation. What would you be thinking if you were Jairus? Like every second that goes by is like a, a, a stab to your heart until the fateful moment arrives and someone comes and says, bother the teacher no more. Your daughter has passed. This is the fear of Jairus. This is his circumstance. Now, I want to bring this back to the first, the first thing that I, can help, I think can really help us to move from, from fear to faith is, is seeing Jesus as the, the curios, the, the Lord over time. He is the sovereign Lord over times and seasons and moments. In the Greek language, there are two words for, for this, this word that we have as time in English, right? And the first word is chronos, which is, is somewhat familiar, like, you know, chronology, um, you know, a chronograph, like, you know, a 
that's the limit of my vocabulary in English right now. Of the, but, but you know, the, the word chronos is just the, the time in what sense? It, it's time in the sense of succession of moments, right? Seconds, minutes, hours, years. Okay, and when you're in, in traffic, you're thinking about time in terms of chronos, right? You're thinking about how many seconds, minutes, and hours will go by before I get to work because you're worried about being late. And if you have a deadline at work this coming week, you're thinking in terms of chronos. You're thinking about the time it's going to take to get that work done before your deadline. There's a second word in Greek that's also translated time that's different in meaning. It's the word kairos. Okay, and kairos has the meaning of time, but it's more appointed time, uh, opportune time, opportune moment. This is what you're thinking about, right? If you're in a relationship, let's say with a with a with a ga- with a gal, and it's getting serious, and you and you finally you finally think this is the one, she's the one, but now you got to think about the opportune moment to ask for her hand in marriage, right? You're looking for that perfect moment. If you're going to do it outdoors, it's, you, you look at the weather, like it can't be raining. This is also what you're thinking about if you have to talk to a person ab- about a, perhaps a difficult thing. And it's a, a trusted friend, but there's something going on and you need to speak into his or her life. You got to look for the right moment, the opportune moment. Our problem when we, when we face difficulties like these is that we're thinking about chronos. We're thinking about the succession of seconds, minutes, hours, and when do we want Jesus to intervene? Like yesterday, right? Like we want him to intervene according to our sense of time. Jesus, now is the time. The problem is that Jesus doesn't act in our sense of chronos. He acts in kairos. He acts in the opportune moment. He's not a tame lion. He doesn't follow our sense of of when is the appropriate moment. And so we have to open the eyes of our hearts. We have to see that he is sovereign over times and over seasons. This is the first way that we move from fear to faith. You and I are not sovereign over, you know, we, we, I, I, coming back to our accident, do you know how many times we've thought, what if we hadn't given permission to Naime to go out that night? What if we told her that she has too much homework, she's got to stay and do it? What if she had just left her friend's house one second later or one second earlier? And in the final analysis, we have to say, Jesus, you are not a tame lion, but you are sovereign over time, over moments. And your your sense of time is what I'm going to trust in, even though maybe it doesn't make sense. That's the first way Mark wants to move us from fear to faith. Jesus, sovereign over time. Secondly, it's, he gives us this Jesus that displays unequal power and kindness. This poor, socially ostracized woman, 12 years, she's spent all of her wealth. She's exposed to constant social shame. Everyone thinks the worst probably about her. And along comes Jesus. And in a matter of seconds, she, in faith, reaches out her her hand and she's instantly healed. No one else has been able to, to do anything for her, only Jesus. 
But the, Jesus saves his most powerful demonstration of power for Jairus. This, the, 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 the second of the two miracles, right? He, he heals. He doesn't only heal his daughter. He raises her from the dead. Now, I want to make a theological point here. If you read the, the Bible, you'll realize it's not only Jesus raises people from the dead. There's an Old Testament prophet who comes after Elijah, Elisha. And Elisha is, is used by God to, to raise the Shunammite woman's son from the dead. Okay? Perhaps it rings a bell from Sunday school or from a previous sermon. But notice this. Elisha prays to God and God raises the Shunammite son, the Shunammite woman's son from the dead. It's not Elisha healing the boy. He calls to a higher power. That higher power is Yahweh, God, and God miraculously heals. I ask you, where is the prayer in this narrative? When does Jesus pray? Have you thought about it? He doesn't. Why? Because he's God in the flesh come to heal. He has power and authority. His word accomplishes what he says. And, and this, this girl is marvelously raised from the dead. And so this is, this is another key thing. We, we have to see Jesus with the eyes of our faith. When we, when we read scripture, this is what Mark knows. He knows that you're not there. You weren't there. This is 2,000 years later, but, but we need to ask God to open up the eyes of our faith and to see Jesus in his unequaled power. He does for this woman, Veronica, and he does for Jairus and his daughter what no one else can do, what no mere human can do. But it, it's not only the power of Jesus, it's the compassion and tender kindness of Jesus. In the Old Testament, there were many prophecies that led the people of Israel to expect that things, certain things would happen in the future. The tribes would be gathered. The temple would be rebuilt. And somehow Yahweh himself would come and visit his people. Listen to one of these prophecies from Isaiah 40. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. Listen to this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will gather them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, will do when he visits his people. And here comes who? Jesus what does he say? What does Jesus say in, in, in the gospel of John? He says, I am the good shepherd. And what does he do here? He gathers this girl to his bosom. He takes, he takes her hand in his. And he says something in Aramaic that's really important. He says, Talitha kumi. And the etymology, you have to take my, my word for this, the etymology of this term that he uses, like it's a, it's, a, it's a term of endearment for a girl. The etymology is little lamb. Time to get up. That's compassion. That's tenderness. Imagine God incarnate 
embracing this little lamb. And he says to her girl, little girl or, or, or little lamb time to get up. Now, I don't know about you dads, but I, I didn't used to get this time to get up thing right. And it was my daughter, Sophia, that taught me how to do it better. I would kind of burst in her room in the morning, you know, and say, get up, time to go to school. And, and she would say, dad, that's not how you do it. <laughs> you got to open the door gently. You got to speak softly. You got to come up to me and, you know, rub my hair and, and give me some time. Well, that's what Jesus is doing with this little lamb, this girl for whom he cares. And so what, what Mark is trying to help us do is, is to see with the eyes of our hearts that we can move from fear to faith by seeing Jesus and all this amazing power and yet simultaneous compassion and tenderness unequaled so that you too, that I here in East Bay 2022 will also move from fear to faith by seeing Jesus, by seeing Jesus. Lastly, Jesus gives us a vision of hope regarding humanity. I think this is also present in Mark's thinking. Now, the, the, the common denominator between these two characters in, the pa in, in our passage is just this, this desperation. No one has been able to help them. They're, they're, they're desperate for, for somebody like Jesus to come and do for them what nobody else can. But apart from that, they're worlds apart, right? The woman is a woman and, and, uh, and hurts us to say it, but in this society, this time, you're a second-class citizen. And, and not only is she a woman, but as we've seen, also she's ostracized by society, a society that has judged her. Everywhere she goes, like a leper, she's being judged. She gets what's coming to her. She must have sinned. Okay. The, Jairus is very different situation. He's a, a prominent man. He's, he's perhaps the most well-respected man in his town. He's the, the leader of the synagogue. And yet both of their lives are intertwined in this narrative to say they've come to one and the same Jesus. Now nothing else matters. Doesn't matter if you're black or white. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter if you have a PhD in terms of your status with God. Okay. Nothing against you if you have a PhD. But in terms of your status of God, you are loved by God. You are accepted in Christ. You are forgiven. You're made heir of eternal life. You are no longer an orphan. You are a son. You are a daughter. This is the power, the unifying power of the gospel. Listen to Dallas Willard in one of his uh, quotes. He says, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. When, when I, when I um, follow the news in the U.S. and, and I, I read the papers and things, it, it pains me, even though I'm far away and, and I'm working in Spain, it, it pains me to see how much polarization there is currently in this nation. 
I'll be careful. I don't live here. I don't pretend to be an expert. From, from what I see, I've just never known, 55 years old, I've never seen a time of so much polarization as now. Mark wants you to know the gospel is the answer. The gospel brings this woman judged by her, her society into the same family as Jairus. And this is what, this is what the United States needs. And this is what the nations need. They need the, the unifying power of the gospel that can bring down the barriers that are making life so complex. The solution ultimately is not political. The solution ultimately is not education. Those things are good and they're right and they can help. The ultimate solution is Jesus vision for a renewed humanity through the power of the gospel. And he's made that the kingdom of the heavens available to you and to your neighbor through his incarnation, death and resurrection. This is what, this is the hope for the nations. This is the hope for the United States at this time. And so when you go with your postcard, you know, letting your, your friends or relatives know about Holy Week here, it's not a small matter. God doesn't hold you accountable whether uh, they come or, or not. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's work. But, but ours is to, to imbibe this vision of a renewed humanity that, that Mark gives us, that Jesus gives us. And we go out and we, we know that what we're taking is what really gives hope to the nations. So in conclusion, what fears are you facing? What disconcerts you this morning? What bothers you in your thinking when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night? Maybe it's parenting children in such a complex moment, right? Everything is so many moving parts. How do we effectively parent our kids? Maybe it's the global markets. Maybe it's the, the aftermath of the war in, in the Ukraine and, and, and everything that that's going to affect. Maybe it's, you know, whatever it is, look to Jesus. Open the eyes of your hearts to see this Jesus. He's not a tame lion, but he's powerful and he's compassionate and, and move from fear to confident faith. God bless you. We love you guys so much. You are a, uh, an amazing congregation with a, with a global love for the nations. And I just pray that you would continue to, to on the same trajectory um, and I've been following the, the building here, uh, pastor Sam's, uh, headaches at times. Is that, did I get that right? Headaches at times, you know, they don't teach this in seminary, right? How to negotiate things with general contractors, but God gives grace. And I just pray that this, all of this would just position you guys for gospel intentionality for many years to come. May the Lord bless you.